some notes here and I'm always open to the Lord's leading so I think we just changed it. We're going to have a song service today. <laughs> oh, it's a good atmosphere here. God bless you all. Good to be out on a Sunday morning, a resurrection morning. Amen. We have one service today. We want to make much of his presence. Just made the announcement on Wednesday but next weekend we're going to have our brother Kyle Morton from British Columbia here. He'll be speaking both services on Sunday. So let's be in prayer. I believe we'll be blessed. You know, the one good thing is when you haven't heard somebody, you don't know where they're coming from, God can do anything. And He can meet your expectation, go beyond your expectation, change your direction, do whatever. So we're looking for God to just have His way. So let's be in prayer. As Brother Harold prayed, we, we can pray for the minister, but we need to pray for ourselves too. So we want to do that. And then also Brother Kyle will be speaking in the graduation on Friday. And so we pray for that as well and that the Lord will just take that all into his hands. Um, Brother Harold just briefly mentioned the Sunday school, the donations. The children give donations um, to each of the Sunday school classes. They also do memory verses. And for the memory verses, there's a, a portion to that. And as Brother Harold mentioned we topped that up for the orphanage in Haiti, and uh, I believe our children will have a part in that and in the, in the rewards. So we thank God for that. And remember, Brother Andre Petit, I don't know what the need is, but they took him to the hospital this morning, so we remember him. We are at the beginning of September, and it also means that we are at the beginning of the school year, and uh, the school year is looking like it's different. There's a number of uh, schools now, the public schools that have begun to go back to school, but with the changes, there, there's not at the capacity and there's a lot more apprehension. Some parents here homeschool, some have their children in school. I felt it would be good just this morning, uh, those of you that have children and if you're homeschoolers, if you're at school, I think it's good to have a word of prayer. And ask God to protect our children, to protect our... You know, God gave us our children because He knew we would have a concern for them. Not just naturally, but spiritually. And, and for the children, God puts you in that home because God wants you to have a head start. God wants you to be able to come to Him. 
in life. So this morning, wherever you are, we've got some in the congregation. We've got others that are at home. But I just feel we ought to have a word of prayer. And uh, so if you're at home with your family, why don't you gather your children together? And uh, we, we just want to have a prayer for the school year that God will protect our children, naturally speaking, but also we want to pray for their spiritual protection. And you might have children that are in university. You might have children in high school. I think we ought to just apply the token. I think we, we can do that. We've been given a right. Satan, you can't cross the bloodline. The bloodline is not a natural bloodline. It's a spiritual bloodline. It's we're born of the blood of God. And I believe that we can take that and apply it this morning. How many would agree and say amen to that? If you don't have children, let's agree for someone who doesn't. And this morning as we, just as our sisters playing softly, just last night, there's a brother in the U.S., he had a son that was involved in an accident, and he was with another brother. The young man was involved with another brother who got killed. And that young boy was part of a deacon's family in the U.S. that's gone through great trial. This morning, they're in great need. We want to remember them as well. So while we're here, just recognize Everything is in God's hands. We thank God for all accounts as their hearts were right with God. So this morning, we just let's agree together as we just bow our heads in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're sure grateful this morning for the presence of God. We're so thankful to call you our Heavenly Father. We're so thankful for brothers and sisters, Lord that have come together, Lord, that bring a part of you with them to this service, that are here, they're representing, in some cases, their children, some that are not even serving God. But, Lord, by their standing here, they are bringing them and presenting them for before you. And, Lord, we are presenting our children, be it the youngest to the eldest, before the throne of God. We're living in a dangerous world, Lord. But Father, there was a time in Eden, or in, in rather in Egypt, where there was a death angel going through the land. But your children, when all the plagues had come, there was one last plague. But you gave a token. And this morning, Lord, we apply that token. We apply it to our homes. We apply it to our children. Lord, wherever they go and they're coming and they're going, we're asking you, Lord, keep them from evil. Keep them, O oh Lord, from the wicked one. Keep them from every demon spirit, Lord. Protect them. Watch over their health. Lord, if they walk into the schools, we're asking you, may the angels of God just walk beside them. Father, this morning we apply that. We send that out this morning in agreement. And we're asking you, Lord, go with every one of them. Wherever they are, Lord, we apply it. We send it out. Hear our voice through the blood, Lord. Hear our voice as we present them before you. We want to thank you this morning that we can do these things with confidence and with assurance, knowing that it will be so. 
Lord, we commit now this service to you, the reading of the word, the things that will be said. We're asking that your spirit would just take control. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What are you playing there? Let's just sing that. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Thank you for the music this morning. I'd like to get right to the thought and move through it as God has just laid it on my heart here earlier this week. But Psalms 118, we'll start from verse 19. It's good to be here this morning. We just want the Lord to just take over this service. Psalms 119, 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord unto which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. And then David now takes in that same train of thought these words the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God bless you. you may have your seats. You've been standing a while, so I won't keep you any longer while I stand the rest of the service. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This is now Jesus coming and the Pharisees are coming to him. He gives them a parable or they're hearing the parable about a householder who had a vineyard and he had um, 
digged a wine press, built a tower, lent it out to a husbandman. And it was at the time of fruit, I'm not going to read all of this, but it's in verses 33 to 41. This is Matthew. I'm going to pick up the reading just after this. But when the time of fruit drew near, he sent the servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits. And the husbandmen took the servants and beat them. Then he sent other servants more, and he did the same thing. Last of all, he sent his son to the husbandmen, and they said, they'll reverence my son. And they said, this is the heir, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And then when the Lord heard of these things, what do you think he's going to do those husbandmen? Now Jesus picks this up, and... And he says this in verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus is identifying the spirit that is upon the religious move of that day because he himself is the son. He himself is the heir. They've rejected the prophets before. They've rejected the others. But the spirit that was in them was now coming directly against Jesus. An anti-Christ spirit in that day coming against a vessel bearing the spirit of God. And so Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. And given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, this is a time when, you know, it, the life is manifest. There's no more grace given in a time like this. Jesus would actually say, you can say a word against me, but if you say a word against the Holy Ghost, that is after the sacrifice has been given, after the blood has been shed, he says, it will never be forgiven you. So it's, an, it's a higher, it's an ascending kingdom. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. The word identifies the spirit and the error of the hour. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Now I'm going to jump ahead, and this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. This will be in the same vein, but this will be in particular to us, to our portion of fulfilling this. So I'll just read verses 1 to 10, 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire sincere milk of the word, that you may grow by thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now, I'm just picking this up. You'll notice in Psalms 118, there was a stone that the builders rejected. And it, and, and it, it manifested, in, and there was a rejection of what God was doing. 
But now here, Peter is bringing that right to us, saying also, you're coming to a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus had no physical beauty that we should desire him. But to those that are born again, there's a beauty that's insurpassable. Now he says, you also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And it says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you, you, I, I, I trust you can find yourself in these scriptures. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do you know if the Jews hadn't rejected him, we wouldn't have had a place? But God had to do that because he saw us as a part of the economy of God. And you know, it actually, in the end time, we've been under this message, we recognize they were blinded. His own children were blinded that you and I could come in. Oh, we ought to be thankful this morning. Now, we, I recognize, and, and we recognize by the message that we are living in what the Bible calls the dispensation of the fullness of times. And there are seeds that are coming to fruition now at the end that were planted in Genesis. And that includes all the spirits that were at the beginning. And we thank God for the illumination by the message. This morning, I would like to take a subject, the field of the undesirable has become unattainable. Now, I'm going to need a little bit of time to just bring it to where I need to, but I want to take this, Brother Branham would talk, because every spirit that has been in Genesis is coming to a fullness now. So we, and that's why Satan hates Genesis and Revelations, because it identifies him and all his workings. Now, this is very familiar to us, and, and, and we know it. The book of Revelation shows that the Antichrist spirit would come into the church, try to def would defile it, it did defile it, make it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. But the book of Revelation also exposes Satan, reveals his works. His attempted destruction of God's people and the discrediting of God's word. Right to the time he is cast into the lake of fire. He cannot stop being the devil. 
He will continue to be the devil. He will continue to operate all his schemes right to the time he's cast into the lake of fire. Now he fights that. He cannot stand it. Now, I, you know, we have heard this so many years. But let's just take it again. He says, he knows that if the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is, now, that, that's not just you singular, but who we are as an army of God, who we are as a people of God, as the blood bought of God. If those people get that revelation, and he says, and what she is, what she stands for, and that she can do the greater works, she will be an invincible army. Friends, I am longing to see it. As Jesus Christ was raised up to destroy the works of the enemy, so is Mrs. Jesus Christ going to destroy him. He's going about the world seeking to whom he may devour. Now, Satan hates revelation, but we love it with true revelation. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us, but we will prevail against them. Let's go to Isaiah 14. I'm going to jump quickly. I'm going to take some scriptures and comb through it. Isaiah 14. Let's go jump right to verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the, cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend. Now, the prophet Isaiah wasn't there, but the Spirit of God was. And God's Spirit speaks to the prophets. So now Isaiah is, you, you, actually he starts this in verse 9 talking about hell. But he goes, now in verse 12 he talks about how Lucifer was fallen. And it started, maybe we don't know the day it started or the hour it started, but somewhere iniquity began to rise in him. And, and it wasn't maybe said out loud, but it, it began to work in his heart. Maybe it began to be a bitter spirit. Maybe he wasn't content with what God had made him, and we know he wasn't. But it says, so the prophet identifies, the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. He was given a throne. Above the stars of God, I will sit also in the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now notice Isaiah, as he begins to talk about this, he, 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 he recognized Lucifer was given a place. And yet he also, Satan wasn't content with that. Because he didn't just desire God's place, but he desired what God desired, which was the mount of the congregation, which was where the children of God would be, where God would have fellowship with sons and daughters. That's what Satan desired. So it was desiring the very place that God desired to sit upon the mount where 
Because that's the place where God would be fulfilled. That's where God would have a people that would really make him God. That would worship him and would give him the glory that was due his name. So that was the place that Satan desired. He has not changed. Now let's just jump ahead. Revelations 12. We know that there was war in heaven. War began to be, and we, we recognize Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. You can pick this up in verse 7. And he said, And the dragon fought and his angels, and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So there was a great war, and, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon came, but there was no more place given them. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So they were cast out, their demon spirits. There was a group of them that were bound at the river Euphrates. They were held there. They were held in check. But under uh, the, the, a certain time and a certain season, they were loosed. And they began to persecute God's children natural. And they, they began to come against Israel. And that began to be the Holocaust. And, and it was diabolical what was unleashed at the earth at that time. But those same angels are coming against you and I. Not so much in a natural form. But they're coming against us in a spiritual form. They're coming against what you stand for. Against holiness. Against correct baptism. Against correct doctrine. Against this message. The truths that have been revealed in this hour. They are coming against it. They are trying to undermine all the things that God has done. They're trying to undermine the cloud. They're trying to undermine this. And they're right in our midst. They're not content because the denominational world has been, has been given over. There, there's no life in that anymore. There's good people. But I'm saying that's not God's provided way. God's provided way is through the revealed word in this end time. And Satan is desiring this very place that God is working. There's only one group of people that can really call him Lord. That's the bride. There's only one group of people that can give him glory. That can have fellowship with him. That can commune with him. That's the people of God. That's the place Satan's desiring. He's desiring to tear that down. He's desiring to have it. He's not content with the bar rooms. He's not content with the ecumenical move. He's not content. But you'll watch it, friends. And, and, and listen, I'm not a prophet, but I'm living under a prophet, and I'm living under the revealed word. And we know that demon powers have to come together with political powers and religious powers. And the prophet said that the persecution will be an ecumenical move. That's thus saith the Lord. So, you know, there's a persecution because of COVID. But it hasn't completely turned to be against the people. But that's what Satan's desiring. Let's go with Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And this is now, I always love it because Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, which is twice that, all identify the same spirits. So in verse 1, here, Ezekiel, uh, 
is speaking to a king at that time. And we know Ezekiel was one of the ones that was carried captive into the land of Babylon. And, and even Jeremiah was told that he was not only to prophesy to Israel and to Judah, but he was to prophesy to the nations. And, and, and I would just say the message we have was not just self-inclusion to it, but it was to the United States. It was to the churches. And it spoke to the nations. And when the prophet said there won't be another revival, that was thus saith the Lord. And in fact, it was the rejection of the message caused America to turn down their revival and caused the church world to turn down the revival. So now I, uh, Ezekiel is speaking here. He says, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. So there was a prince at that time. Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou sayest, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, and in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God, though thou setst thine heart as the heart of God. So he's identifying a spirit that's working on earth. Now remember, the devil that was cast into the earth deceived the whole world. There was one group of people that he could not deceive. Those whose names were written on the Lamb's book of life. Those that had the seal of God. Everybody else was deceived. And he identifies this spirit. He says... You set thine heart. So a spirit that was in heaven is now in an earthly king, or prince rather. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that can be hid from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches. Thou hast gotten gold and silver unto thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, thou hast increased thy riches. And thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Because thou hast said... Because thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon you, the terrible of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness, and they'll bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die in the deaths of them. So he's seeing this prince, he identifies this spirit, but he goes a little further in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Not just the prince, but the king. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden the garden of God. Now, if you just take this, this king was never in Eden, but the spirit was in Eden. So the prophet is not speaking to the king, but he's speaking to the spirit that is in that man. And he's saying, you've been in Eden before. And in fact, it's also identified with what Isaiah said. It started in heaven. It came down to Eden, and it came to this place. Now, this becomes, becomes a little bit more focused. And he said, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, I, mean, I want to just, just deal with this for a moment. The garden was a special place. A garden, if you, if you look at the Old Testament, you look at kings and such, they would have a garden because a garden was a place of rest. A, par a garden was a place where you could be refreshed. A garden was a place where you could delight yourself. We were out cleaning up the garden yesterday, and my wife said, I'm going to miss this. We had a supper last night of fresh cucumber, or fresh 
uh, zucchini and, and we had carrots. And I'll tell you what, the carrots that we had, they do not taste like that in December or January when we get them from the store. There's nothing that matches the delight of a garden. And the sisters that had gardens said, oh, yes. And the husbands that delight in those gardens said, yes. Okay, some of you aren't as passionate about gardening as we are, but we enjoy it. So he says, now Eden was the garden. Every precious, now, so a garden is a special place, just like the mount of the congregation was a special place. So this garden was a place, and he says, every precious stone was thy covering. He says, and he says, the, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the, saf- and, and the carbuncle, and the gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou hast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I've set thee so. Thou wast, above the holy, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones. This king never did that, but the spirit that was on him did that. Thou wast perfect in, the, in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thine beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast it, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So, uh, what Isaiah had talked about, and now what Ezekiel began to talk about, is they're talking about God's chosen place. Because the place that God chose is the place that Satan desires. So if we go back just quickly to Genesis 2, verse 8, you don't need to turn to it. If you can put it up, Brother Mark, I'd appreciate that. But there was Eden was formed, and in Eden was this piece of land, and it was a, it was a great piece of land, and, and, and it was a place on the earth. I think it's identified as being in Iraq somewhere at that time, but it was a place that God chose. And as he chose this piece of land, that was the place he chose for his son, and his wife, and, and the bride, bridegroom, his son, and his bride. And it says in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So this garden was to the east of Eden. It was out of all of Eden, this now was a special place. It was a garden. It was a place that God would come to. It was a place that he would come when, when Adam and Eve were there and they'd be in the garden and he would come in the cool of the evening and he would coo upon them. I, listen, I, I, I don't care how, how masculine you are and how straight you, you like things. There's a poetic language that the prophet used that you ought to delight in. And he says that spirit would hover over the garden. It would coo upon them. And it would come down them. And, then the, and the birds were in harmony. They would sit on Adam's shoulders. And, and the animals would come and brush up against them. And there was something about this place that God delighted in. It was a garden. It was a place God had reserved. It was a piece of real estate that he had, but it wasn't just real estate. It was greater than that. Now, I need to take a few minutes just to intertwine this with not just the real estate part of it and the geographical portion, because Israel, what Israel had as a natural land, out of a natural land, God desired Jerusalem. And there was something about Jerusalem. And even David said, 
Oh, the Lord delighteth in thee. And he would say, Jerusalem, build up the walls of Jerusalem. And it was always a fight around Jerusalem. And it remains that way in the natural to this very day. As a group of people try to lay claim to Jerusalem. And you know, it, it, it's amazing how God is in the process of a restoration. But he has to raise up a president in the United States who is not a president like the others. He doesn't toe the line. He's a bit of a renegade. Actually, he's completely a renegade. He's, he's just completely off the charts. He's, you know, he doesn't have a lot of couth about him. He just says things off the cuff that even his handlers shake their head at. But one thing that this man did, and God ordained it to be so, he says, the embassy that we, the United States, are going to have is not going to stay in Tel Aviv. It's going to move to Jerusalem. And he did it, despite, I think it was six presidents before, had said they would entertain it, but not one of them dared make a move. But in this day, in this hour, God had this man do this very thing, because it's a natural part of it. Now if that's a natural representation of what God is doing, there's got to be a spiritual part of it. No, in other words, there's a garden that represents, it's a reprieve. It's a place of rest. It's a place where your senses are refreshed and relieved. And there was something about Jerusalem that was, was to Israel was a place. Now, Jesus himself, in his own life, he would retreat to the garden and it was in the very last hours of his life he would go to a garden called Gethsemane. And it was a garden, and, and people who've traveled to Israel have told me, if there's one place you go to when you're in Israel, it's the garden. He says, because there's a peace that's undescribable about being there. But let me just take it up because... Solomon picks this up, and I'm picking up a few scriptures I've read maybe in past months, but go to the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, if you will, for me, for a moment, because I'm, I want to take now beyond just the natural, geographical part of it, the real estate part of it, I want to just take this from how Solomon begins to describe and, and what he begins to speak of as he talks about this garden. He starts reading in Song of Solomon, verse 4, and then in verse 8. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. So this is the bridegroom speaking. With me from Lebanon, look from the top of Amana, look from the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck, how fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is the love than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. So now he, here's the bridegroom speaking in a way how he's, he's telling you, you awake my senses. You, 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 I think Brother Tim Dodd, when he was here, he ministered how that word... Uh, pleasing, how, how Enoch pleased God, but it excited God. That, and I believe there's a people on earth that excites God, a people that love the Word of God, a people that are concerned about God. They don't drag themselves to church. Yeah, they have to drag their flesh to church, but their soul desires God. Their soul longs to be with Him. The 
There's a difference between the bride and the church. There have been churches, churches, churches. There have been brides, brides, brides. But there's coming a bride that Jesus, that God has desired. And so Solomon is expressing these things. And he says in verse 11, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. The smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. And I, I, I don't want to get into all of these aspects. We could spend a lot of time. But he, he sums it up and says this in verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. In other words, She's reserved for me. She's my own. She's the virgin bride that I'm claiming for myself. He says, thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. And he says, and camphire and spikenard and spikenard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief of spices. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters. i got to watch what I say here. I had an experience yesterday around living waters and streams, and it wasn't all that good. But anyway, that's, that's for the few brothers who know exactly what I'm talking about. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. So this is now the bridegroom expressing that to her. In verse 16... She speaks. Awake, O north wind. Come, thou south. Blow upon my garden. In other words, there's something in me. I don't know what it is. But Lord, let that fragrance come into your nostrils. Let it come into your sight. That the spices may flow. Blow upon my garden that the spices there may flow. Let my beloved come into his garden. And eat his pleasant fruits. It goes right into chapter 5, verse 1. And the bridegroom replies, and he says this. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. So there's a relationship here. I'll tell you what, don't be cheated in this last day. Don't let the devil cheat you into making just a church-going experience. Don't let him cheat you into a Sunday and a Wednesday experience. Listen, I'm not berating you. I'm just saying there is so much that God would love to do for you. There is so many blessings he would desire to give you. And when finally sometimes that chastening rod comes upon us and, and, and it beats us and it does things, but he does it for our good. He says, what are you looking at? Stop looking at those things. Look unto me. Make your delight me. Make it unto me. And you know what? You ask yourself, why in the world was I caught up with that? What in the world did I see in that compared to this? A daily walk with God. A God that you can take with you when you wake up in bed in the morning. A God that you can take when you have your food and when you interact with people. A God that you can go for a walk and talk with. A God that speaks words to you. It's not just a church life. It's an everyday walk. It's a delight to walk with Him. 
And to think that out of the muck and the mire of this world, he chose me. He chose out of all that he could have taken, out of all the real estate. There's a little piece of land that he saw that was going to take my flesh. And he says, something in there is valuable. I love that. And he says, and it loves me. So now in verse 2, the bridegroom, the bride actually says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It's the voice of my beloved knocking, saying, open to me, my sister. So she fell asleep. She fell asleep, which is, you know, it's not death, but she fell asleep. In other words, maybe she wasn't somewhere as fervent, but she heard a knocking, an opening. Open to me. What did Revelation see? I stand at the door and knock. As a Laodicean church age, whosoever opens to me, come with me, I'll sup, and we'll have fellowship together. But we have to open to him. He doesn't force his way in. He doesn't have a good locksmith on duty. He wants you to open up. But the, 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 the bride says, Open to me, and, and, and he knocks and says, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. He says, For my head is filled with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I defile them? So there's something actually that's coming between here. And she says, My beloved put his hand put in his hand by the hole of my door, and my bowels were moved to him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved. Somehow something had happened, and she opened to him now. But my beloved had withdrawn himself. He was gone. Now, I want to say this this way. When you walk with God... I'll tell you what, there's something you can't even hardly explain to anyone. You know, the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we can say a word, we can say it in a wrong way, we can do a wrong thing, and the dove takes his flight. And so here she comes. Now, friends, this wasn't about do's or don'ts. This was about communion. This is about relationship. This is about Oh, I want to be with him. I, want to, I, I don't want anything else. I'll tell you what, the more I go on, I, 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 oh, let me walk with you, Jesus. I don't care what's going on in the world, but just let me walk with you. But something happened. And so as, as this was all happening, it was so tender. It was so, it was so special. And yet something had come between and grieved him. And, and you know, it, it tells us, that, that if we walk close with him, you know, somebody else might say something, but you say it, and it could be the wrong way. You know your relationship with him. You know the time, but he just pulls himself back a little bit. He withdraws himself. And she, she begins to, in verses 6, 7, and 8, she begins to describe how she's looking for him, and, and the watchmen are looking for him. And finally, in verse 9, the daughters of Jerusalem speak, and they say, you're going around the city looking. What is your beloved more than another beloved? What, what are you so passionate about? Why are you looking for him? Why are you seeking to turn over every stone and make everything right that would be a hindrance? Why are you so fervent about this? What's so special about what you got that we don't have? Oh, let me tell you. 
Let me count the ways. Let me tell you, my beloved is more than the fairest. He is the fairest of 10,000. He's the lily of the valley. He is everything to me. He is he's indescribable. Words are not enough. But they can't understand. Churches, the other women, could not understand this relationship. What is your beloved more than an... Why are you charging us this way? Nobody will understand the bride. Just like the stone was rejected, she'll be rejected. As Brother Dwayne preached last Sunday night, and he said how that bird that was killed in an earthen vessel, and that blood was spilt on another one. It's mate, not just another bird, but it's mate. It bore in his body that blood, and with that blood came a voice and a cry, and it couldn't help but say, oh, holy, holy. The other birds couldn't understand it. And I think, actually, in the, in the prophets in the Old Testament, they say, my heritage is as a great speckled bird. All the other birds, they're come against her. They don't understand this speckled bird. But she's directly tied to the same one that was rejected. She's carrying that. Oh, let me bear the reproach of his name. Let me take upon me all that he stood for me. He bled for me. I'll stand for him. I could say so much about this. Let me just take a quote here. Brother Branham would talk about it. And I, I need to, okay, let me, just to save time, I need to stop here and go into this. And I'm going to switch back. So, so this is what God's desiring. But here's Satan as he's exalting himself. Now, Brother Venom would say, because his desire was to ascend, his desire was to sit upon the congregation. Now he says, in, in God of this evil age, he said, think, soak this in. When you play this tape on this point here, Stop for a while and think. His works are exalted above God's words, work, word and manifested works. The wisdom of Satan which he gave to Eve at the beginning. Now listen, don't miss this. The wisdom of Satan is exalted to the throne of worship in man. Now, we know this is a woman's age. And, and women are worshipped. That's a spirit that's on the age. But it's, it's putting flesh before the real spirit. It's putting flesh before the real spirit. Yeah. Sat the wisdom of Satan is exalted in the throne of worship above the vindicated word of God in the hour. Now he's talking about churches. I just have to move on. He says here in Christ the mystery of God revealed. Now, he says, notice, Lucifer in the last days is doing as he did the first. He's separating the fellowship of God and man. He wants him to build a united kingdom, a greater splendor, seemingly more cultured, a greater, he says, a greater splendor, a greater kingdom than Michael. Lucifer at the beginning, his purpose in heart was to achieve a brighter and greater thing in heaven than God had. Is that right? More beautiful, more splendid. I, I, I just need to stop here. I believe there's a reason the prophet spoke to us. Every one of us has been drawn from a miry pit of clay. Who, stop and think, who are you? Who was I? And so 
God calls us. We, we didn't think ourselves worthy to enter a church. We didn't think ourselves worthy to sit in a pew. I, I didn't anyway. I thought, who am I? But over time, you know, you, become, you begin to get a haircut if you're a man and you dress up and you come to church and you feel good. And, 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 but then that devil can come along and say, look, you're better. Now, is that different than Satan exalting himself? He begins to tell you, you're something. And maybe we begin to get a little puffed up. And maybe we think, we've got, actually, we are something. Uh, you know, God chose me because I was special. The minute you think like that, you're stepping on dangerous ground. And that's the, a, a button that the devil wants to push. He wants us to start to think we got something to do it. Paul had to deal with the Galatians. You started in the spirit. Now you're walking in the flesh. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has deceived you? Rules and this. And what happened to when the spirit of God moved on you and caused you to do things? Friends, we need to, I tell you, we need to humility. We need to stay before God and say, Lord, I am nothing. I'm only here because of you. I'm here for you. Don't let me rise above the dust. Don't let Satan inject me with that kind of thing. That's what the devil will do even in the move of the hour. And all of a sudden we begin to operate in a different realm than God has desired for us. Now, in, in the Garden of Eden, and I, 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 I need to summarize and go quick here. The serpent did not come directly to the male, but he came to the woman who was the field, who was the bedding ground. That's the part that God had left for Adam and Eve only. Now, it was to be by a spoken word. It wasn't to be through the channel of the flesh. But that was the very place Satan desired. And as a result of the woman's being deceived and Adam was not deceived, there came a union and Adam joined himself to death, if I can say it. Because there was a word of God that said, the day you eat thereof is the day you die. And no matter... now. We know there was two seeds at that time, and there was two lineages at that time, separated in the natural. And God's lineage, or Adam's lineage, none of them, though, they were still bound. None of them lived above a thousand years. And so they were bound by that, but out of that lineage, the lineage of, of Adam, and then the lineage uh, out of that came Seth as a substitute, and there came the lineage of Cain. Seth, there was a characteristic that was associated still with it. The serpent's lineage had many other characteristics that were similar to their father. Brighter, beautiful, more cunning, more crafty. You can read this in Genesis chapter 5. But in Genesis chapter 6, there, there came another deception or form of deception. When the sons of God saw the daughters of men, 
that they were fair. So there was a deception by Satan akin to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 6. And sons of God bypassed that which God had given them through the Spirit of God and went through the weakness of the flesh for daughters of men. And it's still a weakness. And we know that there was a mix. We know that after that, their lifespan was changed. There was no more natural delineation, but the lifespan changed to be a max 120 years. Genesis 11, Satan comes in and he inspires a tower to heaven. God has to confound the language. There's much history. But you go right all the way down to Genesis chapter 18. And Genesis 18 is now the optimum of Satan's Eden. It is the place, and, 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 and I referred to it, Brother Mark, maybe I just need to refer to it again, Genesis 18, but it would say, it would say in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2, and it said, an angel come down and said, the earth, having great power, the earth was lightened with his glory. He said, Babylon the great is fallen. It's become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, a cage of every clean and hateful bird. So it's become, it's hit a pinnacle. The, the worldly system, Babylon's not just a city, it's a worldly system. All the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundancy of her delicacies. Drop down to verse 5. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she has rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. The cup which she has filled is double. She sits as a queen. I, I, I won't read all of it. The devil has everything in his control. If we back up just to Revelation 17, verse 1, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And he sees, John is carried and sees this beautiful woman which is sitting on a... On a a woman in the wilderness is sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, and he wonders with great admiration. But then God has to clarify him and tell him what he's looking at. And he says in verse 50, she's actually sitting on the waters, which are people. And he clarifies this to him in verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his word and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So she's the feminine attribute as well. She's the one who can receive seed. But it's showing that she received seed, but it's brought forth to Satan's fullness and kingdom. And if we would actually take it this way and, and, and we would look at it this way, Satan has now come to a pinnacle. It's Satan's Eden. You know, he can, he can speak, and, and think about it, he can speak and he can cause wars and disruptions. He can speak to weather. He say, let's have a Hurricane, and a hurricane will come because he's a prince of power of air. He can speak to a typhoon. Apparently the winds that we had were relative to a typhoon that was way over in, 
in Taiwan or somewhere, and that brought about all the winds and did all that it did. And, and he can do those things. He can speak to the nations and speak to one kingdom and to another kingdom and cause them to align or cause them to disagree or cause them to fight. He's got everything in control. Every nation is his. Lucifer actually, or Satan said it to Jesus. He says, all these are mine. And Jesus, but Jesus, he says, I'll take none of them. Because I'm going to pay a price. Because if I take them from you, you'll always have a hold on them. And so he would accept none of those gifts. Satan can go and he can, he can cause uprising in people to a level that's never been before. He actually just has to push a button. He's saying, you know, cause this pandemic and put great fear on the people. And it, it's exactly what's happened. Cause... Cause an incident or two to happen and cause there to be an outrage against, they call it xenophobia. I don't believe it, it's the same as racism, but xenophobia can be against any culture, any person, anybody that's different than you. You know, and, and, and it can go. There's, there's xenophobia against Christians. There's, you know, you can call it that. But he says, push that button. And, and you know, now they push a button and, and any little incident and the people up, defund the police. Get rid of all that. It's a spirit of lawlessness. He's got everything he wants except one thing. Except a certain people. Now, just go back with me for a moment. I, and, and as I just, just take you on this, I'm, I'm just trying to paraphrase quickly here. All the prophets that ever were. There was prophets. There was Moses. There was Abraham, Jonah, Samson, David, Elijah. Take all the prophets that ever were. Satan came against every one of them, and he caused every one of them to fall. Moses had a temper. He disobeyed. He wouldn't listen to God. Abraham, he lied. Jonah, he disobeyed God. He wouldn't follow his direction. Samson, he flirted with the world. David, he murdered. And you know, all along, Satan would just tell his demons, push that button. I, I, I know what will get him. And he would watch. He would study. I, I know what will get them. I know what will get them. But then there came along one other one. And he was born in a way that manifests the Scriptures. And Satan tried to kill him. And he did certain things. And now when Satan came to, to meet him and he began to tempt him with three temptations in the, in the garden. Or three temptations just the same as it was in the garden. He tempted him. And, and, and he began to tempt him in just the same thing. And, and he said, he tempted him by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So he pushed the button, and he says, he's fasting. He says, okay, I'll push the button of food before him. But he wouldn't bow to it. Oh, oh this guy's got a little more than the other prophets. He says, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give him the lust of the eye. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. And you know what? He wouldn't bow to it. Now remember, Jesus was totally man. But he was totally God. Let me, let me read it to you. He says, he was made a little lower than the angels. He was completely man. God took a complete man to bring a total deliverance. He was tempted as we were. He was completely man, but he was completely God. He proved it when he raised the dead, when he stopped nature, the roaring of the seas. He was God inside. 
He, being a man, he was a man, but he totally delivered himself as a man into the hands of God for the service of God. Now he says, we are men and women, but we're also Christians. So we ought to completely deliver ourselves to the hands of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus here, the tempter, comes to, to, to do the things. He says, okay, I know what. I got David with this, or I got th this one. But you know, nothing worked. And finally he says, because the devil only knows one thing. It was pride that lifted up. He says, I know what will get him. I'll offer him all of my kingdoms. But you know what? He can only operate as the devil. Jesus humbled himself. He had no pride to work with. Now, I, I, I want to bring this because the three temptations that were in the garden are the same temptations that were on Jesus, are the same temptations that are upon us. We are all in the flesh. And if I can say it this way, in our flesh, we were born the wrong way. In our spirit, we had the wrong nature. But our soul, if it ever was a part of God, that's the redeemable part that God works on. And because that was there, there was something that drew you to God. Now when Jesus came, he had to fulfill Isaiah 53. He had to become bruised. He had to become the part that was not looked upon favorably. So Satan, he... He, 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 he didn't even think anything. This does, guy doesn't come with the same kind of things. He, he, and in fact, the Pharisees didn't even look that kindly on Jesus. But now there's a group of people in the land, and I want to just say it this way. Now, if you've been born by Jesus, Satan comes and pushes that button. I, I, need, to, I need to go to something. Can we go to the PowerPoint for a minute? Are you with me? Okay. I just want to go to the PowerPoint here. I want, to, I want to take something for a moment. So, I'm going to skip a bunch of scriptures I had here. Let's go to Matthew 27, but you can look at it up here. When the morning was come, all the chief elders and priests took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And he brought again 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, Judas was looking at Jesus in a natural way. He was looking at his kingdom. He did not see what Peter saw. He did not see what Peter saw when, when Peter said, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. He didn't catch the revelation that Peter did. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're one of these prophets. But who do you say? He didn't see when Peter said, thou art the son of God. He never came to that. So there was a part of something that Judas could not come to. And so as a result of that, he started to go down a channel that was different than all the rest. And finally, when Judas saw that he had betrayed him, he comes running back to the temple. He had 30 pieces of silver. And he comes and he says, I don't want this. He's trying to wash his hands of it. Okay? Now... He said, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he went and he hung himself. He hanged himself. 
Now, this is, this is amazing to me, this next part, because here's Judas. He didn't see that. He cast down the pieces of silver, and he departed. These were the same pieces of silver that these men, these same men, had given Judas a few days earlier. Here, you tell us where he is. We betray him. You can have this. Oh, okay, I got it, I got it. Now, they bring it back. We don't want nothing to do with this. Now, you look at this. He says, it is, and the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful for them to put into the treasury because it's the price of blood. So somehow, they knew Judas was going to betray him. They were partakers. But they didn't want to. Now, I, I wanted to say this about the devil. The devil isn't very smart. Okay? There ought to be more amens than that. The devil is not very smart. The devil, he brings a persecution in the time of Egypt. Pharaoh gets wind that there's a deliverer in the land, and he says, kill all the babies one to two, uh, up to two years old. And so they are killing him. Well, what it actually does is it causes Mir, uh, um, Joseph, what's her name? Josebel? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. And, and she pushes an ark out, tells Miriam, follow the ark, watch where it goes. And then God steers that ark right into the back. While the order's going out the front door, the ark's floating in the back door. And the ark's floating in the back door. The ark never would have gone there if the devil hadn't anointed Pharaoh to say what he said. So the devil isn't very smart. And so while they're watching out for the liver, they're looking out right in their backyard. Here is Moses being raised up in their, in their back end. He rises to power. He has everything before him. So the devil's not very smart. That same devil, he comes, and now he's going to kill Jesus, but he needs human vessels. So he begins to anoint the Pharisees. He begins to put a spirit on him. They begin to look at Jesus the wrong way, and they begin to do this, and now they're ready to meet somebody who can help them. Because all along, they're looking for a way to betray him. And he also anoints, Jude, he also anoints Judas right in the inner circle. And he also anoints Pilate, a political figure. And he anoints all these people to come against the word. So, so the Judas, he meets up with the Pharisees. Here's your money. He goes out. He betrays. He goes to Pilate. So the first one that gets the life of God in his hands is Pilate. And he says, what has this man done? Uh, Pilate's wife warns him, don't do it, don't do it. And Pilate says, okay, I have nothing to do with him. And he, and he tries, he contrives a, a little thing that he's going to get the Jews. Here, take this Barabbas. He's the hated guy. He's the worst man in the land. He's a sinner. He's this and he's this. Do you want this Pilate guy or do you want this? But the spirit that was on the people was so strong, they wanted to kill Jesus. And Pilate says, I'm washing my hands. Done. Red marks. But you know what? He could never get it off his hands. Because this was the life of God. He could never get it off his hands. And he went to his grave insane. Josephus writes it. At the same time, these Pharisees get this money back. Now they see what's done. Oh, no, no, we're not touching this. Judas goes and hangs himself. The fourth cross. Three crosses, but this is the fourth cross. 
So now, if we take this, the chief priests, they get, and they said, it's not lawful for this money that came out of the treasury used to betray, they called it the field, they, they called it blood money. And he said, it's the price of blood. So they had this idea. What we're going to do is what we're going to do is as Judas cast down this, they said, it's in the silver, it's in the treasury. So they, they, they said, we don't want anything to do with this money. So they went and they took the money. Now listen to this, Acts 27. They took counsel and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Now, I, I need to just say something quickly about this. A potter's field, you may have heard that. Brother Branham actually refers to it. A potter's field is a field where you, you, you put the, the bodies of people that don't have any inheritance. They have nothing in their life. The despised of society. The despicable of society. You bury them in this field. There's not even maybe a mention of them, but it's called a potter's field. They have one in New York City. They have one in places all around the world. They call them potter's fields. Now, just, 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 just follow this through. So here they come. They took counsel. They took the potter's field, which they buried strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, which was Jeremiah. Okay? That they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, when they of the children of Israel, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and they gave them for a potter's field as the Lord, anoint, as the Lord appointed them. Now, here's a piece of real estate that had no value, had no nothing, and they took this piece of real estate, and they, the, the Pharisees, they bought it from the money that was cast down in the temple. But it was attributed back to Judas and the Pharisees. Now listen, the, the children, when, when Pilate stood there, he couldn't get his blood off the hands. When the children of Israel, they screamed, finally their final scream when they had to choose between Jesus and, and Barabbas was, let his blood be upon us. And they didn't know what they were doing. But for 2,000 years, they would become the off-scouring a very type of the 70 years that the children of Israel spent. A very type of the 70 years that they would spent in Babylon, they were going to spend scoured over the world. The off-scouring. But in the last day, God gathers them together. Now, this potter's field, if I would just take this for a minute, it talks about, this was spoken of by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, I believe the Bible is the accurate word of God. I went back to Jeremiah. I could not find that anywhere. But these pieces of silver, if you go to it, this is the potter's field in Jerusalem. But if you go now to Acts chapter 1, verse 18, it said this man, which is Judas, purchased a field. Now, he actually didn't go and buy it. But by his actions, he was entangled with it. And the money that he attempted to get rid of which actually was the price, it was what they valued, it actually was attributed back to him. And the Pharisees, they went and bought it. Called it a potter's field. And it says, it's known unto the dwellers in Jerusalem, insomuch as this field is called Asagdemia, that is to say the field of blood. Let me go a step, let me just, oh, let me hold this for a minute. It says this field 
was bought with pieces of silver. It was purchased with blood money. It was a cemetery where which foreigners were buried. And according to tradition, it was buried at the eastern end of a valley. Now, here's a piece of land that nobody wanted. It was purchased with, it was, it was the off-scouring. It was rejected land. The devil didn't think anything of this piece of land. Let me put it that way. The devil didn't think anything of you. The devil didn't care for you. The devil didn't care. But God said, there's something in that piece of land that I want, that I will take for myself. Now, let me just take it a step further because it was actually called in the Hebrew tongue, Akaladema, the field of blood, a field located outside the walls of Jerusalem. This field was purchased with 30 pieces of silver. And it says it was, it was he says the field was purchased by Judas himself. However, it was not Judas, it was the Pharisees that actually did this. Judas did not personally buy the field. He only bought it in the sense of his actions. Now the mark of the beast will come the same way. I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna get entangled with it. I'll watch for it. I'm not but you take it on by going against God's word. And he says, so now, now let me just take this a little further. So Jeremiah actually never said it, but the scripture, if you go back to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 11, verse 10, I took my staff, even beauty, and I cut it asunder, that I might break the covenant which I had made with, with people, with my, all the people. And it was broken in that day, and the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. So they valued the life of God, and they had to put it in monetary terms, and all they could say is, it's worth 30 pieces. That was what the figure they came up. Now, Zechariah prophesies this. And Zechariah prophesied, but the scripture says, Matthew says, but Jeremiah, Jeremiah said it. No. But let's follow it through. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter. Cast it. What did Judas do? He cast it. Cast it down. I don't want nothing to do. The devil didn't think you were worthy enough. He didn't chase after you. He didn't, he didn't come after you the same way. Cast it down. And he says, a goodly price that I was prized them, and I took 30 pieces of silver, and I cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So this is Zechariah. Now Zechariah, we knew, was on the other side of the 70 years of the time in captivity. He was part of the restoration. But yet, when Matthew writes it, he says Jeremiah. So now we go back to Jeremiah for a moment. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was known as the one that had... Uh, was, was engaged in before the Lord and, and suffering the very anguish of God. But Jeremiah was that... Jeremiah is actually thrown into prison much of his prophetic life. But while he's in prison, God begins to come to him. And God says to him one day this, The word of the Lord came unto me, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shulam, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, say, Buy thee my field which is at Anatoth. For the right of redemption is thine, so buy it. So he's in prison, and he says, hey, hold it, guys. I got a real estate transaction I want to make. And they go, 
you're in prison. What good is that going to do you? No, I want to make, make a transaction. Okay, come on out. So they brought him into the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord. He was in a hole, actually. And they brought him and says, I pray thee, I want to buy the field that is Anatoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. The right of inheritance is mine. The redemption is mine. I'm buying it for myself. And I knew it was the word of the Lord. So God tells him this. So he bought this field, and he paid 17 shekels of silver for it. And I subscribed the evidence, and I sealed it, and I took witnesses, and I weighed him the money in the balance, and I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to law and custom and that which was open, and I took the evidence in the per- of the purchase in the- unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, etc., 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 in the presence of the witnesses, and all the Jews sat in the court of prison. Okay, you want to make this deal? Go ahead, make this deal. Fine. He's, he's buying this piece of land. Now, remember, real estate in the time of Jeremiah wasn't worth a whole lot. If I can say it this way, this is a piece of land that really had, had no value because everybody was being dragged into captivity. You want to buy this piece of land, this off-scouring? Listen, we'll give you a deal, 17 pieces. You know what? You can have it. Like, it's not worth... You, you, listen, we, we're going to Babylon. We got business down there. We'll take the money with us, gladly. So he goes and buys this piece of land. And as he buys it, he took the evidence. He takes all of this. But God was doing this with purpose. And he says to, as Jeremiah, who is a sign, he said, take these evidences, that which is sealed, and the evidence which is open. So the open part. But take the, put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue again. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So Jeremiah goes, he lo- he, there's a piece of land, it, the field of Anatoth, is according to what they say, doesn't look very fertile, there's rocks, any kind of combine you drag against that, it's going to get have issues right away. Doesn't look very good, but God said, this land is valuable, this land is worth something, this land means something. So Jeremiah buys this land in the middle of nowhere, put it in an earthen vessel, seal it up. Now, God actually says in the end of that scripture, he said, this is what the Lord says, I brought all this calamity on the people, but I will give them all the prosperity that I have promised them. So if I, if I just stop it there, I'll just, you can turn it off by the mark. I'm just taking all of this for a point. Jeremiah, there's a piece of land that isn't very desirable. Seventy years are going to go by before you're going to actually see the value in it. Seven church ages are going to come. There's something I did at the beginning. There's something I sealed in myself. There's something by the price of my blood that has come that, Je- that Pilate could not stop, that the children of Israel could not stop. But there's something else. There's a piece of real estate that I have purchased. There's a bride body. She's the offscouring of the world. She's the great speckled bird. She's going to fly for seven years, for seven churches ages rather, but in her is my name. In her is value. I see something in her that the rest of the world doesn't see. Seven seals and the devil tries to discredit but I'll tell you what, my name was in it. I trace my beginnings not just to what I earned by my monetary but what he purchased back there. 
I see it go through seven church ages. And I see at the end time, I've got exactly what Paul had. A messenger declared, it is not lost, but there will be a people that will benefit from the price that God had at the very beginning. I'll say this, the devil isn't very smart. Say it again. Amen. He's not very smart. Now, if the devil was smart, he wouldn't come to, to Job and say, look at, look at these people. He says, you got them all hedged about. He says, they got, they got no issues. And he says, okay, Satan, go ahead and push a few buttons. Okay, I'll push a few buttons. I'll do the same thing that I did to Jesus. I will tempt them with pride. I will tempt them with opportunity. I will tempt them. Now, in our flesh, our field is fallen. In our flesh, we're closer to the devil than we are to God. Our spirit is the same thing. But what the devil doesn't know is there's a secret inside. And so the devil comes along the way, and you begin to have to make choices in life. Brother Doug Baker, he's a minister in Tucson. He sat for years. He, he's part of, he, he had a degree in engineering that was very integral in rocket science. He's part of the whole, Israel has this whole uh, defense shield mechanism. Brother Doug worked on a team of engineers that actually developed that mechanism that did all of that. He was with a team. They were a private consulting firm. They were about to come together as the technology was exploding. They were incorporating. They were about to come, and they, and they all became millionaires. About that time, Brother Doug got a call to the ministry, and he said, I'll let that go. You can have that field. I'll labor in God's vineyard. And friends, I'll tell you what. The devil tried to push a button, and he could not get that brother. Brother Tim Dodd was a brother who was going up in the banking chain. He had potential managerial potential. But he was operating in Dawson Creek at the Royal Bank, and they were about to give him a promotion and send him somewhere, but he was taking care of a little flock of God. And, and he was taking care of that little flock. And as he took care of that little flock, he said, this field is more important than the field that Satan has. And I'll say this, friends, whatever you have. There's a brother I know. He's a son of a, uh, well, he's a minister actually today. He was a potential to be a college star running back. And along the way, all of a sudden, God got a hold of his life. And he said, he says, no. He says, I could, they, they said, we'll offer you this, we'll offer you a scholarship, we'll give you this. And he says, no, I've got a field that I've got to work in. I've got a field that I've got to labor in. I can't be bought for a price. I'm a part of God's field. That which the world looks at and says, you want that? The same God, the same devil that, uh, that was there when Moses was there, and he was in Pharaoh's court, and he was looking out the window. Pharaoh's looking out the window. He said, what do you see down there, Moses? And he says, I see a bunch of slaves. They're dirty. They're mud daubers. They're this. What do you see, Moses? They're the people of God. They're the people of God. So the devil comes with every temptation that he offered Eve at the beginning. He comes with every temptation that he offered Jesus. And now he comes at the end and he offers every temptation to a people of God. He sets us up. He comes to right to the place where he knows where we're weakest. I'm not going to be long, so stay with me. He comes right to the place where he knows we're weakest and where we can't hardly even make a move ourselves. But he, he doesn't recognize what's inside. Yeah. 
He comes and he, he comes inside. He says, now, and I'm going to just say it this way. His desire for expression, full expression in Eden, or in his Eden, is almost fulfilled. He speaks to a nation. He speaks to a leader. He speaks to the people. He speaks to this. And now he comes and knocks on your door. And he says, you, you're discouraged. Why don't you just leave it all? Why don't you just go out and have a good drunk? And why don't you? And, and you're about to do it. Brother Branham was about to do it. How many times did he attempt to even commit suicide? And God wouldn't even allow it. Because there was something inside. That devil comes and he knocks on our door. And he says, okay, you've been, you've been talked about. You've been this. Why don't you just lash out? And you're about to do it. And he goes, I'm going to pray about this first. And when you go in prayer, and all of a sudden you recognize what it is and say, you know what? This is nothing less than the enemy. And I'm going to take this. And furthermore, he says, I'm going to bury this. I, I, in fact, this email that I got penned, all uppercase letters that I was about to push send on, I'm going to delete it. I'm not going to remember it anymore. And, the and meanwhile, you know, let's just take it this way. The devil's sitting there and he told these demons, did you, did you set him up? I did. Did he do it? No, he didn't. What did he do? He went to prayer. And I don't know what he did. He pushed delete. And he can't remember. He can't even say it anymore. He's just like God is. He can't remember something when it's under the blood. Friends, the devil wants you to resurrect something. He wants you to deal on a natural level. But we are not that kind of people. We are the bride of Christ. We will not be pushed by his buttons. He wants to stop us from being an invincible army. And if he can get us to look through natural eyes, we'll, 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 we'll operate on his buttons. Sometimes we, I'll tell you what you need. You need a field and you need a, you need a spade and you need to bury some things. You know, what, you know what the greatest victories will be? It's not what you said and what you did, but it's what you left behind. It's what you didn't say when the devil wanted you to say it. It's what you didn't do when the devil wanted you to do it. But it's because there was something inside of you. The same spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in a bride again in this last day. I will not defile myself with the world. I will not go the way that the rest of the world is. My allegiance is to my God and to my maker. I will not do those things. I am his field. Matthew 22, as we begin to just close, Matthew 22. We, we read in verse 21, and that's where Jesus said, the stone which the builders rejected, the same as the corner. He goes right into chapter 22. And in chapter 22, he starts with a parable. And the parable is, in, and I didn't give you this, Brother Mark, but chapter 22, verse 1, he talks about how the kingdom of heaven is, is like to a certain king which had a marriage for his son, sent forth his servants. They were bidden to come to a wedding. And as they were bidden to come, they would not come. And he sent forth other servants. Tell them, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings, all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. 
and they made light of it. Friends, the commonality that the devil wants to reduce us to in our homes and in our relationships and in our church and say, oh, that's just so and so. -and -so. We ought to have a deep respect for what God has done in your brother and in your sister and in the order of God. We're not respecting a man. We're respecting the order of God. And we need to reverence it. But the devil wants to reduce it just like they did in Jesus' time. Oh, he came from Nazareth. There's nothing good out of Nazareth. Oh, he came from such and such. Oh, you don't know his background. Forget his background. It was washed under a field of blood. Jesus remembers it. How dare we remember it? But they made light of it. They went their ways. Little did the Chicago meeting know when they came together and they asked Brother Branham to explain the Godhead. Little did they know that that was a showdown. Little did they know that that little man with a bald head that was sitting there and just a soft voice, little did they know that God was speaking to them again. Little did they know when God vindicated it. And he says, now you, you Trinity people and you oneness people, it's not that. And he explains it so perfectly. And they come to him and says, we're going to be baptized 80 ministers. And they made light of it. And they forgot it. Friends, we are not the devil's property. We will not make light of the message that we've been given. We've been purchased by God. We will not reduce the message to, well, you know, he said it this way. He, no, I'll tell you what. There's a deep reverence in my heart for all that God has called. And there's a, also a reverence and a respect for what God does in their lives and in my life. Because it's not my choosing. It's his choosing. And I'll respect God's choice. So they made light of it. One went to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and they entreated him. Now what is it? Here it was against Jesus, but now it's against the call at the marriage feast. And again, when the king heard it, he was wroth. He sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders. And he burned up their cities. And then he said, the wedding is ready. But they that were bidden to come were not worthy. There was people that were more religious than you and I. There was people that were better than you and I. That lived better lives. But the call of God went to our level. It went right to us. Those of us who were the off-scouring. But he came. And he chose us. And he says, that devil which you did not esteem, that is which is now not going to become yours. It has become mine. And he says, go therefore into the highways, as many as you shall find. Bid them to the marriage. Call Brother Ed Semenuk, who is a biker. Call Brother Marshall, who is just all over the map in his, in his life. Call different ones out of different places. You don't think much of them, devil? Let me show you what I can do. The stone which the builders rejected. And so the servant went to the highways, gathered all that were there, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king went and saw the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said, friend, how do you not have this garment? And he was speechless. Bind them, cast them out. Many are called, but few are chosen. Three calls, three pulls. I wasn't there to see the first pull. 
Many people were pulled by that first pull, but they never went further. I'm not saying that none of them did. Some of them, some of them did go on. Some were pulled by the second fall and went on. But I wasn't called under that pull. I was called under a third pull. I didn't see things. I didn't hear things. I came in a backwards way. I, 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 I couldn't, I, I, I wasn't even worthy to do that. But something got a hold of me. Something caught me. I can't help but be what I am. He got a hold of me. That which the world says is not your, that what the world has cast off, God says, I'm taking it. It's mine. I've called a bride. Vashti denied me, but this bride will not deny me. As the musicians come, I'm just going to read this from, 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 the, from the mystery, from, from Christ is the mystery of God revealed. He says, watch the threefold mystery. His fallen wife redeemed back home again. That's Christ in the church. Christ manifested in Christ in his church, all being brought together again, the original Adam and Eve. The church is the blood of Christ by the Spirit because the life is in the blood. The other night I was just praying about a situation. I was tired. And I just saw something on a post somewhere. And it just so grieved me instantly. And I said... I'm laying my life down between whatever that is and what I've got. And I'll tell you what, I started praying and I was surprised because all of a sudden it wasn't, God, you come. All of a sudden, devil, I'm here. I'm here, I'm called by God, and you've got to get through me before you get there. And I'll say this, we're coming to a place where the church is the blood by the Spirit. Devil, you can't cross the bloodline. You can't cross what God has purchased for himself. He says, the church is the blood of Christ by the Spirit because the life is in the blood. He says, denomination will never touch it. He says, she knows it. This Eve knew it, but she fell. This one knows it, and she won't fall. She won't fall. Tempt her. Tempt her with women. Tempt her with popularity. Tempt her with discouragement. Tempt her. And the, and, the, and the demons are constantly running back. We did that. We tried that. It's not working. They're dead in their flesh. They can't operate. It doesn't seem to hinder them. They don't do it. In fact, when you do it, it causes them just to pray for others. It causes them to reach out for others. I don't understand it. And the devil goes, oh no, it's here again. The very same life that I once fed. It's in the bride again. Why? Because Jeremiah had a field, and God said, there will be life in this field again. And he says, take that evidence. Unseal it at the right time. Let them know I will come into that eve again. That's the hour we're living in, friends. I don't know if you're excited, but I am. I'll tell you what, there has never been a day like this day. There's never been an hour like this hour. This eve will not fail. This bride will not fail. There was a Moabitish bride one day. She came into a field as a gleaner, despised, hated, looked down on. And that bride came into that field, but 
the husbandman, the owner of the field, took notice and she had favor with him. And I'll tell you what, there came a time in her walk, she was no longer a gleaner. She was being provided handfuls on purpose. She was given something according to Naomi. But one day, Boaz stood up and said, in the gate of the elders, in the presence of all the witnesses, in the presence of a nearer kinsman, and he said, this day I have purchased the fields of Naomi, and with it I have purchased this Gentile bride. And he says, and there was no more accusations. There was no more nothing. You can't touch her now, accuser. She is mine. She was once despised, but now she is mine. Friends, I, I trust you see yourself not just as a gleaner, not just as a handful on purpose, but I am married to Boaz. I'm a part of him. Let's stand together. I'm casting all my cares. All my cares on you. And I know you love me. Oh, redemption by blood. Oh, that's the greatest love story. Seven angels in the cloud, they testify, my Redeemer's no longer dead, he's risen, oh, and he's coming back for you and me, you believe that? Love. 
over dead, he's risen. Oh, and he's coming back for you and me. He has forgiven me. He has forgiven me. He has forgiven me. My sins have been washed from his memory. And by the blood of the Lamb of Calvary, oh, he blood could not do for Pilate what it could not do for those Pharisees and Judas the blood that we have received cleanses us it makes us pure and virtuous and brother Branham would say not brother Branham but the spirit of the Lord in him you are justified you never did it in the first place. You were trapped into it. I don't know if it ever has meant to you as much when you go through the messages. And Brother Branham has said, there's a bleach. There's a Clorox. Friends, there's something when, when they could go back, and I don't know, Jeremiah's relatives came back and they could see, oh, that field's already been purchased. We don't have to fight for it. My name's already there. I'm already a part of that inheritance. Friends, when you can see that, oh, God allowed this for a purging. He allowed it for a purpose. I, I, I trust it means something to you. Oh, I, I, I love him more than I ever loved him before. I, I, I appreciate the Spirit of the Lord more than I ever have. Now, Brother Brandon would say this in conclusion. His body was not held in the grave, but it was, it was recognized with him in the resurrection. Then the body of his believing children will not be held in the grave when he comes, but they will be recognized with him because he died for the purpose to resurrect his bride. His body... Oh, it's so completely yielded from denomination unto Him, and He is the Word. We pass from death, to, death unto life to become prisoners, and we're under the personal headship of Him. And He says, now listen, the life in the body, the life, when the devil prompts you and pokes you, and he desires you to express his evil intent, and he can't do it, Oh, you know what? That is what he hates. 
that life. Oh, there's a whole service that we can do one day, and I'll invite a brother to speak it sometime. But I'll say this. The devil, in Job chapter 1, the devil was before God calling on Job. And Job thought he was tormenting. Job thought he was being tormented when everything was gone, when everything was lost. And then even his own wife would, would come and he says, and you know what? He didn't accuse her. He said, you're speaking like a foolish woman. That's impossible for a man to do. But he says, and now you don't see the devil anymore, but you see Job going through everything, going through everything. Really, it was Job's life that was tormenting the devil. Because at the very end, Job comes out clean. Job comes out that way. And God says, he was perfect, devil. I told you he was perfect. I just added a little bit more to him. None of these things move me, Paul said. None of these things faze me. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, you're in Satan's Eden. You're in the worst time that's ever been. There's this coming at you, this coming at me. You know what the greatest miracle is? When you don't rile back. When you just say, Lord, it's you and me. You know, the revelation actually is, Lord, it's not me. It's you they're after. Lord, be merciful to them. <laughs> and the demons go and report to the devil, I'm afraid that life is coming back on earth again. <laughs> oh, it's rising up. Don't you believe that? I, 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 would, I would sing New Testament church rising up, but I don't think we've sang it enough, have we, Brother Ray? <laughs> oh. Keep your mind stayed on me. Keep your mind stayed on me, stayed on me, faithfully, oh, and I will give you sweet release if you'll just keep your mind stay on me oh keep keep your mind 